Hello, everybody, and welcome to Politics in a Movie with your hosts, Doug and Mike. I'm Doug. And this is Mike. And this week's episode, Presidential Primaries and Legally Blonde. Uh, Mike, as always, we'd like to give a quick mention to our behind-the-scenes guy, Frenchie. He always makes our tech magic happen in the background. And also, we should tell everyone, welcome back, Frenchie. He had a vacation recently. <laughs> Um, in France, even the basic worker gets like two months vacation and a bottle okay. of wine each year. <laughs> so, you know, Mike, he said that uh, he could teach us how to run this thing uh, without him. But I told him, I said, hey, you know, we're the talent. <laughs> Mike and I are the talent. We can't yes. bother ourselves with typing on a keyboard to make things happen. All right, Mike. Well, we have a uh, we have a new thing right now to announce. We have our first sponsor. Great. Uh, yeah. So uh, let's see. Here we go. Uh, Frenchie is giving me the copy. It is for Lentmail.com. Tired of having to give out your email every time you sign up for something? Have you even created a separate email that you use and now it's clogged up with spam? Sign up for Lentmail.com. Use a limited time promo code of P-A-A-M to sign up for free. Lentmail.com. How'd that sound, Mike? Was that good? That was good. That was my first time reading an ad. <laughs> well, we'll see. It's it is Lent, so Lent mail. Yeah, that's right. Don't All eat right. meat while you're using your Lent mail. I don't know. Get a fish sandwich and sign up for Lent mail. Well, we are taking sponsors, so um, I don't know. There you go, sponsors. All right. Well, Mike, let's jump right into our topic of presidential primaries. And I guess our original title was presidential primaries slash caucuses, but yeah. we've sort of simplified it to just say primaries. But um, yeah, off to you. Yeah. Well, Doug, I'll, we got a question earlier on one of our earlier podcasts that we read from a listener who asked us to break down and to describe caucuses. And uh, I agree, and I agreed at the in the past when we read off that comment that they are complicated. It's complicated. Uh, <laughs> so I'm going to try and take a stab here at describing presidential primaries and caucuses. Most states hold presidential primaries pretty much six to nine months before the presidential election. You probably, if you've been paying attention, primaries have, and caucuses have been going on. Uh, leading up to this year's 2024 presidential election. Right. So primary voters, most of us in the country are primary voters. We go and it's just like in the general election when you go and there's names on a ballot and you punch the ballot or you fill in an oval or you sometimes write in the name of the candidate and the state where the primary is held tallies the results. And uh, it's a state process. So this, your state is, even though this is a national election, the elections are run by the states. Right. So those are primaries. Some states, five states, I think, Iowa, Missouri, North Dakota, Nevada, and Wyoming hmm. have caucuses. And I know a lot of us have heard about Iowa, and it's an important one because it's the first. Ah. And so what they do in Iowa, it's essentially a neighborhood meeting for politically active people. And you go there and you see your neighbors and Iowans will 
gather together in some high school gym. <laughs> and rather than going into a voting booth and pulling a lever like they do in the primary, right? Um, you meet as groups. Now, do they serve coffee and donuts at these? <laughs> I think they do. I think uh, they do. It's 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 like a you know it's it's just like a meeting. It's it's almost yeah. like a town hall. Yeah, because that's that's how they could lure me in. Yeah, if they yep. needed uh, you know more people to attend. Yeah. Donuts. <laughs> well, well, and it also lends itself to the campaigning that that happens where presidential candidates really do need to do a retail campaign where they knock on doors and they talk to people. It's very intimate as right. compared to primaries in larger states like California or Ohio, Yeah, um, where uh, it's a very personal. And Iowa is a small state. Maybe Frenchie can look into that for us. But And there have been complaints about Iowa and the first primary in New Hampshire because they're not very diverse states. They're kind of rural. So there have been initiatives out there to sort of change up how, uh, you know, who should go first and how we should do primaries. Some people have suggested a national primary, like we have a national general election where everybody votes for the primary on the same day. Mm, right. But, but having the primaries and caucuses on different days and different months also lends itself to more intimate campaigning where presidential candidates have to go out and make speeches one state at a time, perhaps, or some of the states have joined together and have their primary on the same day. Super Tuesday has a number of states that get together. And so that sort of raises the importance of that particular primary day. Right. But but to get back into caucuses, like I said, it's, it's a neighborhood meeting. You sort of like vote with your feet and you go over and stand. Okay, everybody who's in favor of candidate A, <laughs> stand over there, everybody. Oh, in favor of candidate B, go stand under that basketball hoop, you know. <laughs> so, so that's, that's how they that's how they vote in the in the, in the caucuses. Yeah, but well, uh, Fr Frenchie's letting us know that the population of Iowa, is, as of twenty twenty three, is three point two million. Okay, it's bigger than I thought. Than I thought. Yeah. Yeah. So that's still by you know compared to California or even Ohio. Sure. It's it's not a very big state. So it it lends itself to caucusing. You know, you, you can have a caucus in a state where there's only 3 million people. Right, right. And uh, I, you know, I kind of just like, I like the word caucus. It's just a funny sounding, <laughs> you know, that's why I yeah. like that. You know, one of my favorite places is Secaucus. <laughs> yeah. So, but, but the end result in both primaries and caucuses are not really a vote I mean, it's a vote, certainly, but but it does. You're not electing a candidate as much as you're electing a delegate. So the winners, you know, 44 votes, I think it is in Iowa, are delegates. So those are delegates to the Democratic convention or the Republican convention, depending on which caucus you attended or which primary. If, if we're talking about a primary, gotcha. So I mean, and the history of primaries, the Constitution does not address primaries. In fact, Madison and Hamilton, the two writers of pamphlets that were distributed before the Constitutional Convention, they were arguing all the different things like about Electoral College and things like that. Madison and Hamilton were not in favor of political parties at all. Mm. They really wrote the Constitution not thinking about parties. Ironically, 
those two, Madison and Hamilton, became the leaders of the first political parties, the Federalists and the Democratic Republicans. So even though they argued against political parties, they were the, yeah. the founders, the, the framers really did divide into different factions. Yeah, they found and, themselves drawn into that distinction, that delineation, yes. I guess. Yeah, yeah. Hmm. So we had the Iowa caucus in uh, February. And this year, it did provide the results that people wanted. It does kind of help to help to separate the wheat from the chaff, you know, and it's interesting that we're talking about the farming state of Iowa and wheat yeah. from the chaff. But right. um, and some candidates actually had to leave after the Iowa caucus because they were running out of money. They, you know, they didn't get the bump that they wanted. Um, so after Iowa, DeSantis and Ramaswamy uh, got out. Right, so in yeah. the Republican yeah. Party now, we've got Trump and Haley are the two left over. And we've, we've also had New Hampshire. But uh, in the past, Iowa has provided a big boost to candidates. For example, in 2008, when Obama and Hillary Clinton were facing off for the Democratic nomination, Mm -hmm. uh, Obama came away from from Iowa with a big lead, and it really gave him a bump going ah. into the following primaries. Right. So while it is small and it's a weird process that most of us in the country don't do caucusing, it does have the effect of giving, and it hasn't historically given the given like the leading candidate a boost. So in in 2008, it gave Obama a boost, and this year it appears to have given Trump a boost, although. He was leading anyway. Right. But now, so the thing that comes out of these caucuses uh, are delegates. Is that the deal? That's right. That's and right. so when someone says that like a certain candidate won a caucus, it just means that delegates that support that person yes. were elected, I guess. Yep. Elected to represent that state. Yeah. Got and you, you've seen the the conventions, the the you know, the party conventions on TV and they'll, they go state by state and they'll say, you know, Mr. Chairman of the proud state of Florida is proud to put forward. That's right. You have 60 votes. How do you cast them? Thank you, Madam Secretary. The great state of Alabama. The great state of Alabama casts 48 votes for Doug as their candidate, you know? Yeah. So. The but you, proud you, state. that didn't happen. I, you know, I'd love to hear the different, you know, <laughs> uh, adjectives or whatever these. these they do that, use. yeah. the The corn eating state of Iowa, That's you know, right. or the they they do usually. That is sort of fun, and it's turned into a show. I mean, by the time we get to the conventions, we know who's in 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 the lead. You know, there have been those conventions where there's been a little bit of doubt. You know, our earlier podcast, I talked about how Kennedy, Ted Kennedy, hung around in 1980 through the convention when people thought, you know, you don't have any chance, you know, but he mm. hung it out and his delegates showed up and there was a, a convention and Carter was the winner. And, you know, this year it appears, you know, that there are leaders. It looks like it might be Trump versus Biden, but we're going through the process anyway. Right. So now, and so yeah. the delegate, does every state have the same number of delegates or is no. that different? No, okay. No, it's different. You know, it's sort of like the electoral college, you know, where gotcha. you, the number of delegates has to do with population. 
So once all these different states gets their little set of delegates and they all meet up in the big convention to decide to yeah. all cast their little state votes and then decide who they're putting forth for the presidential nominee. Is that the deal? Yes. Got yeah. It. So we're, we are voting for delegates. I mean, it's, it's the primaries are not so much a government function as they are a party function. Right. You know, the general election is, you know, you're voting and, and the state, the states are in charge of the voting and in charge of in charge of counting the votes. But um, it's really the primaries are a party process. Gotcha. Where, and has there yeah. ever been a case where like the delegates get up there on the stage and they freaking pull a fast one? Like, they, <laughs> you know, they say something. Everyone's like, <gasps> and they change the delegates change their mind or yeah, something. Exactly. Yeah. I think there is some, like when it's close, they talk about brokered conventions, you know, where there is debate on the, on the convention floor. Sometimes it, you know, there's a lot of talk about vice presidents. The announcement really isn't made until the convention comes. So there's some sort of horse trading that happens maybe among the delegates. And then of course the delegates, not only are there the delegates that the voters have elected, but there are super delegates in Ooh. every in every state and those are typically party leaders or elected officials. Ooh, and what kind of powers does a superdelegate have? Well, I think the same as a regular delegate, but um they get more donuts. <laughs> more corn dogs. <laughs> they uh they you know, it's it's so the delegates from each state include all those that that state elected but then of course there are super delegates that go because they're favored by the party their their party chairman of the state's democratic party state's republican party or the you know congressman or the senator from that state will right. attend the convention as a super delegate hmm. so does every state have a caucus or is it just those five it's just those five that have a caucus other states have primaries and but they all result in producing delegates they do. And th the important thing to remember, though, is that it's the state by state process. Candidates having to campaign in each of those states mm. and they don't we don't have them all together. Like I said earlier, there are those who suggest that we should have a national primary and maybe we should, you know, but but right now it's a state by state process. And that allows candidates to campaign in each state. And it's it also allows for one candidate or a couple of candidates to gain momentum. Right. So as you leave Iowa, there's, you know, certainly one person from each party that's usually in the lead, but like sometimes the second place, I know like in, in uh, 1992, Bill Clinton didn't do so well in the Iowa caucus, but then in New Hampshire, he came in second and, you know, it's all about staging and, and uh, marketing. And he came out and called himself the comeback kid for <laughs> coming in second in New Hampshire. He didn't right. win. He came in second. Right. So, so there's a lot of posturing and marketing that happens. I, maybe no, another thing to add is uh, Nevada, which is a, um, a caucus state, is also this year having a primary. Oh. I'm not, I think it's unclear about how they're going to... Uh, I mean, for, for Republicans, I think, not for Democrats. Right. Um, they're, they're having both a caucus and a primary. Hmm. So um, we'll see how that goes. 
So I'm, I'm not sure how that's going to work. <laughs> okay. Okay, Mike. Well, thank you for breaking that down for us a bit. Now let's uh, roll into our movie, which is Legally Blonde. Now, Mike, you know, uh, Legally Blonde, it's a nice, uplifting, uh, affirming movie. Uh, it lets you know that it, if an attractive blonde woman can succeed, so can you. <laughs> no, I'm joking, but, uh, you know, it seriously did empower this film has and did empower a lot of women and um reese witherspoon who's uh stars in it says that to this day women will still come up to her and and say things like i went to law school because of legally blonde interesting okay yeah so that's nice okay so mike uh i'm sure the listeners are wondering why we chose legally blonde um now we were considering the movie uh, election right per our yep. listeners input but uh, election, you know, it's a little bit too on target for the topic, and it's not, it's not as fun as Legally Blonde. <laughs> but in election, Reese Witherspoon, you know, does a tremendous job, and it's one of her early movies that brought her, you know, some limelight or attention. Yeah, it's a um, good movie. So we wanted to honor Reese Witherspoon, and hence Legally Blonde. You know, being a blonde is actually a pretty powerful thing. All right, so Legally Blonde, it came out in 2001, and it was a book first, and it spawned a sequel and also uh, a musical, Mike. Wow. And there's also uh, a third film is in progress right now, but the first one, of course, kicked it all off. It made, uh, it made a good return on their investment. Uh, I think it cost $18 million to produce, and it made $142 million, which, as you know, is more. <laughs> What is that um, today's dollars? <laughs> that's a good question. <laughs> today's dollars, Frenchie. He will, he will dig it up. Oh, Frenchie is typing. He says uh, in today's dollars, uh, 142 million would be roughly 250 million. Interesting. Uh, so. Was it that long ago? I guess, boy, I guess it was that long ago. Yeah, 2001. <laughs> Mike, my usual trivia for you. Do you know how many Academy Award nominations <laughs> the film had? This time I'm going to guess zero. You are correct. Okay. Boy, you know, fool me twice, huh, Mike? There's an old saying in Tennessee. I know it's in Texas, probably in Tennessee, that says, fool me once, shame on you. If fool me, we can't get fooled again. <laughs> um, all right, but but they, it did win MTV Movie Awards. Well, good, I'm sure. Uh, and it won three. It won uh, Best Comedic Performance by, of course, Reese Witherspoon. Um, best line of dialogue and best dressed, which is no surprise. You know, she wears all kinds of fun outfits in this film. Right. You guys have to help me pick out the perfect outfit. So the movie stars Reese Witherspoon as Elle Woods, who's in uh, college when the film starts. And Legally Blonde was made two years after she was in that film election. Is and, that right? Yeah. Two years I later. it was the other way around. I thought uh, election... Did. Okay. Yeah, she did election first. <laughs> and she almost didn't get the role in Legally Blonde because studio heads had seen the movie election and they thought uh, that she was, quote unquote, a shrew. <laughs> and that kind of turned them off. By the way, uh, the word shrew is an interesting word, don't you think, Mike? I wonder how often people use that word these days to insult somebody. Shakespeare used it. 
Yeah, well, that's a, uh, that was a while ago. <laughs> anyway, I guess that studio head was very well educated and had uh, studied Shakespeare. And he thought that Reese Witherspoon was a shrew. Okay, you're on, Mr. Popular. Then, so her agent called her up and said, listen, they think that you really are your character from election and that you're repellent. <laughs> That's what her agents <laughs> are. Uh, so she had to, you know, do some um, campaigning uh, and was successful, of course, and uh, got the role. Yeah. Now, the film, Mike, was written by Amanda Brown, and she went to Stanford Law School. Oh. This movie came out of her taking a lot of notes from her experience and, and then ultimately producing a book. She, she talked about how she would go to uh, a student meeting, you know, at Stanford when she was starting to meet some other women who were in the law school. And she said that they were just really angry people. Like they, she didn't really get along with them. I'm packing you an extra pair of shoes and your angry eyes, just in case. And they would say like very serious things that uh, Amanda Brown just thought, you know, was absurd. Um, but, and she would laugh, like they'd say something and she'd laugh and they'd all stare at her. And then she <laughs> realized, oh my God, they're, they're serious. Yeah. <laughs> and she uses some of those things in, you know, in the dialogue, in, in the right. film, Legally, Legally Blonde. Uh, particularly, there's an early scene where she's at Harvard and she meets some fellow students and they're just you know, super serious and full of themselves. And Take the word semester, okay? This is a perfect example of this school's discriminatory preference of semen to ovaries. That's why I'm petitioning to have next term be referred to as the winter ovester. You know, Elle Woods, of course, is this, you know, very light, fun, festive woman who's just like, you know, hello, everybody. And they're just all serious. So. How you doing? So in the film, Mike, I love the uh, opening song. Yes. That artist, Hoku, became very popular after that song was released. Mm -hmm. The soundtrack reminded me of uh, Circa 2000, <laughs> pop radio of, two th of the year 2000. The opening has some people riding a bike through campus up to her sorority house, and she's a Delta Nu, hmm. which actually, Mike, I believe is a sorority. So usually they make something up, but I think it's a real one. Interesting. She goes out to dinner with her boyfriend. And the, the boyfriend, Mike, is just a classic douchey boyfriend. His name is Warner Huntington III. Yeah. And, you know, uh, Mike, when they're writing these stories, um, they, make, they make someone a third because they know that that is extremely pretentious sounding. Um, <laughs> I mean, listen, you can forgive someone who's like a second, but anything past that, it's just, it lacks originality. Come on. <laughs> Well, you know, I guess it does save money on monogram towels, though. Yeah. But so this guy, uh, you know, Warner, Warner the third, Mike, he is not a uh, nice guy. But the, the breakup scene, he breaks up with her at dinner and it's a it's a real funny scene. And she's surprised that he's breaking up with her. And he says, well, I'm going to Harvard Law School. And if I'm going to be a senator by age 30, I need to marry a Jackie, not a Marilyn. <laughs> a Harvard Law graduate can do a great many things, become a senator. And so, Mike, you know, he's going to Harvard. And I have to tell you, do you have you met many uh, fellas who went to Harvard? Yes. Yeah, me too. And <laughs> I have found that a lot of these Harvard guys, they always find a way to sneak in the fact that they went to Harvard. 
Oh yeah. They'll say something like, oh, it's, it's like my third year professor at Harvard always said, uh, James, you're like the son I never had. <laughs> and it's like, dude, all I asked was, do you like your new iPhone? <laughs> Have you experienced that? Harvard folks love to sneak. Well, it in. It, you know, it, uh, growing up in the Boston area, there's sort of a, a thing about that where the Boston Globe called it the WGU world's greatest university sort of a knock at their self uh, importance <laughs> right but yeah yep but you know i'm not feeling bad for folks who went to uh, harvard you know if you it is a very good school oh absolutely and i have yeah. met folks there who uh great folks but, <laughs> but many of them just love sneaking it in a harvard law graduate has power. So he says, he says to Elle, he wants to marry Vanderbilt. And she says, Vanderbilt? I grew up in Bel Air across the street from Aaron Spelling. <laughs> so she's just dumbfounded. And Aaron Spelling, by the way, for those of you who don't know, um, huge Hollywood TV producer. He did classic TV shows just for decades. He did Charlie's Angels. Good morning, angels. Good morning, Charlie. The Love Boat, Heart to Heart, Dynasty, Beverly Hills 90210, Melrose Place. I mean, yes. uh, that guy's a superstar. So are the Vanderbilts. <laughs> Superstars. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Mike in the movie, now she wants to go to Harvard because that's what a Vanderbilt girl would do. And so she tells, uh, she tells her parents, and so she's sitting around a pool in Bel Air, right? And her dad is standing there poolside with like a drink in his hand. And he says, uh, you know, honey, you don't need to go to law school. Law school is for people who are boring and ugly and serious. <laughs> and that's exactly what Amanda uh, Brown experienced when she was, you know, attending law school. Elle does, Elle does a video essay in her application to Harvard, which is, you know, it's a funny scene while they're all sitting around the table watching her video essay, right? Yeah. Does have a 4.0. Her list of extracurricular activities is impressive. She was in a Ricky Martin video. Clearly, she's interested in music. Now, apparently, uh, I've heard that Harvard doesn't do that. They, they don't allow video essays, you know. But in the film, it's funny. Yeah. And it shows that, you know, she did something unique that caught their attention to get in. You know, which which reminds me of a of a story, Mike. You know, I had a friend when I was in college, and he was applying to Harvard Law School or graduate school, and he and he knew that he had to stand out. So he went he went to a toy store and bought like a, a speak and spell, like you know, one of these toys where sure, like kids turn a dial. It looks like a big clock, and they turn a dial to like like the picture of a cow, and it and it says moo. You know, yep. So the kids learn. And so what he did is he gutted that thing and he changed it around. So like you'd pick, you'd pick the cow and instead of saying, you know, moo, it would say, you know, hi, I'm Warner Huntington the third and I'd <laughs> love to go to Harvard. <laughs> right. And, uh, and he got in. Wow. There's my advice to those of you who are applying <laughs> to hard to get in schools, just, you know, yeah. come up with something that's uh, going to catch their attention. Sure. And so Elle gets into Harvard. She bumps into Warner and Warner is uh, engaged. He has a fiance, yeah. Vivian Kensington. 
which is just another great pretentious sounding name, right? I'm Vivian Kensington. <laughs> Hello, Mrs. Kensington. All right, so Mike, you know some other interesting casting in this film. Uh, Jennifer Coolidge. Oh, yeah. She's in there. Um, yep. It's one of her early roles. I think before this, she was in American Pie, which made her mm-hmm. well-known. And then this really made her even more uh, prominent. But Jennifer Coolidge is in it. And then the male actor is Luke Wilson. Oh, right. Yeah. I always think of Luke Wilson as a crooked-nosed guy's brother. <laughs> you know, because Mike, I'm really bad with names. I forget names really easily. Owen. Yeah, Owen, Owen Wilson. Owen Wilson, right? Yeah. But but I always forget his name. And so I just think of it as crooked nose guy. <laughs> I'm so bad with names, Mike. I'll go to like a party. You know, someone will introduce themselves and say their name. And I'll, I'll, I swear to God, three seconds later, I completely forget the person's name. And so, like, to me, I go to a party and it's like, you know, red shirt guy, <laughs> you know, nice watch guy bad haircut guy like you know, i just <laughs> like i'm just you know labeling everyone in terms that i can remember mike there you go a fun note about luke wilson and jennifer coolidge is did you know a lot of people compare how they both say the word wow well so, owen wilson you mean wow <laughs> that's right yeah so jennifer coolidge says wow a certain way and and a lot of people say that it's very similar to how Owen Wilson <laughs> says, well, wow. And Mike, I think, I think you are also in that comparison. Uh Oh, <laughs> wow. Yeah. You have a very yeah. Wow. <laughs> wow. <laughs> and then here's another casting thing that I was uh, pleasantly surprised when I discovered Raquel Welch is in the film. Yes. Yeah. With that crazy? blue makeup on her face. Yeah. She plays the ex-wife of the murder victim. Yeah. I, I don't want to give too much away, Mike, but someone gets murdered. <laughs> um, yeah. And of course, Raquel Welch, I mean, she was extremely well known in like the 60s sure. and 70s as a hugely okay. popular, attractive actress. And so, yeah, she's in this film. So I'll just have to explain the blue. She has like facial makeup on facial, like it's blue, like her face is blue with she's in like a spa. Right. Yes. Yeah. Yes. She's not an avatar. <laughs> so when she takes over uh you know being the head lawyer i love how like her girlfriends from la show up now <laughs> to see her in court like they show up in court and they're cheering her on she's like, yay l go it's realistic Judge is like you know quiet <laughs> Ella, we came to see your trial oh look how cute there's like a judge and everything and jury people and so, Mike, you know, I enjoy the courtroom scenes, but of course, in a movie like this, you know, they cut corners and, you know, they're exaggerated. Elle starts out, she's all nervous and she's making mistakes, but then she totally turns a corner. Once she latches onto one of the victims making a mistake on the stand and she totally turns confident, she's like snapping her fingers and moving around the you know, the court and uh, boom, she gets the witness to admit to the killing. Isn't that right? Two minutes later, snapping her fingers. Yep. You know, you killed him. She's like, did you order the code red? (laughs) That's right. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Did you order the code red? You're goddamn right I did. And then in the end, she gives the class speech for her graduating class. Oh. They're all in the the room where she's giving the speech and they're all in like, uh, you know, they're black 
graduation robes, right? right? And then the camera pans over and it shows her like LA parents in the crowd wearing like colorful outfits, drinking martinis and toasting her. <laughs> Congratulations, class of 2004. We did it! The classic film, Mike, it's almost kind of like Barbie-like. No, I, I agree. I think it was a, you know, it's light and uh, enjoyable. It's a happy film. Sometimes that's what you want. Okay, Mike. Well, as uh, Elle says at the end of the movie, uh, we did it. <laughs> so for all of us here at Politics in a Movie, thank you for listening. And you can check out our website at politicsinamovie.com. Thank you, Mike. Thanks, Doug. And thank you, Frenchie. Look at you! You have a baby! In a bar!